Welcome back to From Start to Scale with Alex Newman, where founders, CEOs, sales leaders, investors, and the best of the best share their strategies and tactics, how they scaled their business and broke through the next level. Hear what worked and what didn't so you can avoid critical mistakes and scale your business. Now let's get into it. Welcome to the show. Today's guest is Adam Harris, co-founder and CEO of CloudBeds the hospitality management platform powering more reservations and happier guests for lodging and businesses worldwide. They've raised over $240 million. They have a team of over 700 people distributed around the world. CloudBeds generates billions of dollars in revenue for tens of thousands of properties globally. Adam, thank you so much for coming on to the show. We have a ton to learn from you. This is going to be fun. Uh, I'm so excited. Thanks, Alex, for doing this. What a great way to end the week. This is this is fun because right right before we got on, you were saying I am not a salesperson. That's I don't have right. any formal sales training. I don't. Except I love sales, which is I love sales. This is this is going to be a lot of fun because you're going to come at it from a different angle. So, here's where I'd love to start. I want to start a little bit earlier on just to kind of set the stage, get some context. Yep. Let's talk about when when CloudBeds was first starting out. You were starting to get some traction. You started to acquire some company customers. What 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 did it look like? What did the org look like? What did go to market and strategy look like in those earlier days? So in the earliest days, it was very founder led, right? Myself, Rich, and pretty much anyone who was part of the early beginnings was really involved in talking with the customer and, and ultimately trying to provide that vision because product market fit wasn't there, right? And and to be honest with you, I, I think the term product market fit is an evolution. Right, you never really have perfect product market fit. It's something you're always chasing. But let's be very clear, that was not even near something we had back then. And so we were very MVPs. You get to find those early ambassadors, and a lot of times they're buying a human. They're not buying the product. They're buying the vision behind the product, and that's what it was. So it was us out there talking to folks, and 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 let's be honest, it was very very early in our product adoption and even in, in even like where we wanted to take it. And so you stumbled on words, but I want to, I want to correct you. So you said acquiring companies, but then you turned it to customers. It actually was acquiring a company that led us to get closer to product market fit and really expand to our next sales milestone. So I just, I, that was a really yeah. interesting sort of, Slip up that led to what I think will be subsequent questions coming up. So I'm, I'm yeah. I actually appreciated that. <laughs> no, that that's good. So, so what what did it look like in those early days? Did you? I mean, it was you and Rich, and you're not a sales guy by trade. I mean, are you hiring salespeople right out the gates to try to Intern. to help you with this? Intern, okay, intern. Yeah, I mean, it was. Again, I didn't know what to call them, but they were really BDRs. We had a team of, you know, early, early entry college students as well as recent graduates just doing very short-term learning stints with us. We were in Brazil, so I, I couldn't sell. I don't speak Portuguese. Neither did Rich to the extent that would would have been yeah. wise. And so all we were doing was trying to bring this sort of hotel audience into our MVP. And so that was email, that was a lot of guerrilla tactic, then it was a little bit of discussion. And at the time, we weren't making any money except for transactional. So we weren't a SaaS product yet. We were saying, hey, if we deliver a result, we're going to charge you a percentage. Once we sort of figured that out, 
and, and, and saw a little bit of traction. What, what ultimately led to was we got to get out of just being in Brazil. We have to grow this internationally. We need more capability. We had just raised our first institutional fund raise. The chairman who, of our board at now who came in was like, I know this guy. He's your age. He's super dynamic. You're going to love him. He used to work for me at a different hotel brand. I'm going to introduce. I think you should bring him on board. Okay. So a couple conversations later, Rafa joined the joined the crew, and he was a formal salesperson. He had run sales teams, and immediately he's like, "Okay, okay, no, we can't do what we were doing before. We got to formalize this into a little bit more like a system." And so we went to more of a you know account account rep or AE model. We had still some of that early outreach, and and yet once we sort of formulated what that plan would look like, we did do an acquisition. So we actually bought a product that helped us get to product market fit then. So we bought a little oh. M&A deal. It took what was like the core PMS, and then we added distribution. That was the my allocator purchase. And then from there, we had the solution, plus we gained 60 countries worth of customers. So we had European, US. And so then all of a sudden, you put Rafa and Adam and Rich into having conversations with folks that could understand us because of a language barrier, we were starting to sell. And then it became very founder-led. And so what shifted from there was we went direct to a customer, but we then also went indirect through partners. And so a lot of that partnership was led by myself and, and Rich. And, 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 and while Rafa was building up a little bit of a team underneath him to actually do some direct sales as well in market. So we're running basically two different strategies, and that has ultimately evolved. Interesting. So when when you think about it, how do you how do you define who your customer is, or at that time, who who how did you define who your customer was? Yes, it was very very narrow ICP. Partly because we were still learning what our product was going to evolve into, and 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 when I think about how we would define ICP today. It was really no different. We we took our product and we said, what does this map to? Like, who's the customer with the least resistance, with the highest sort of willingness to pay? And we went out and found that audience. And so it happened to be early in the days, hostels. We had enough of solution that was really, really good for hostels. And we got so good inside that product, that inside that market fit that we were powering 40% of all hostel reservations in the world. That, that's how good we got. I mean, that is massive, massive market share globally. And then COVID just completely brought that, that industry, unfortunately. Thankfully, yeah. there was a thankfully, we still do hostels incredibly well. But along the way, we were building product based on sales feedback to broaden who our fam was. Right? And that's something we continue to do every day. So we 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 are religious about go to market. We're ruthlessly focused around our SAM and who our ICP is, and and that is fed by product feature and product research, and that's also fed by sales. And now that we have such a big infrastructure around CS, so that we have a third feedback loop that obviously dictates how we build for. 
But, yeah. you know, in the early days, it was us in markets saying, we need this next feature. Cool, cool. Let's yeah. go build that. And then it's, oh, no, now we need to do this. And it was just a constant evolution, which, which ultimately led to one of our core values as a company principle, which is Kaizen, 1% improvements every day. We just took yeah. that sort of same philosophy from a product perspective, and that was being fed by our sales org, right? And that was, that was, those were fun days. Like, it was, we were in the That's thick cool. of it. So it so you have acquisition you you make this acquisition and you get a bunch of these hostels and then you also have your kind of like is this an outbound sales motion that I mean how, if your customer base is global right you, I global. mean you niche down to say hostels but you could yeah. call anyone I mean obviously you have some right. language barriers are you sending emails and cold calling yeah. hostels to try to get these people on board like pretty, one pretty by much. one by one. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so we were, we were very disciplined and along the way, we also realized that the maturity of content on the internet around being a host or a hotelier, right. And I'm using the word host because a lot of times accommodation is, is alternative. It's not just a hotel or hotel ecosystem. It is a hostel or it's a alternative accommodation that's a hybrid it might have short-term rentals and it might be traditional hotel rooms as well. So when you when you think about what a host and hotelier are dealing with, it, it's a very different world that we live in today than it was then. And and so content was something where our go-to-market had to be, let's go try to talk to as many people. But that's a math formula, right? If you only have yeah. so many sales reps, they can only make so many dials, so many outreach, so many contacts. We needed inbound too. And so we started buying ads, but then we also started building SEO. And we started building lots of SEO. And now if you sort of accelerate eight years later or seven years later, you know, we power 30% of hotel search in, on the Internet. That's how effective wow. we are. Yeah, we're a hub spot. We built thought yeah. leadership. And, yeah. and that means now most of our leads come inbound, not outbound and organically. And that, that is yeah. an unbelievable place to be. But when you're building a sales org, you, you, you also get the, I only want to work the hot leads. I don't want to have to yeah. go do the work and do the outbound yeah. stuff, which is the challenging yeah. thing. And, yeah. and so there's a lot of philosophical change that you have to make. You actually have to run two different teams with two different sort of incentive structures. And it gets yeah. really complicated. So, yeah. so we had to build both outbound and inbound because unit economics would be improved. We wanted to try to reach more. We, need, we are a high velocity sales engine, so we need to constantly throw things into the funnel. This is why I love sales, because I'm yeah. dealing with the most complicated ecosystem you possibly can imagine, and then take that and add it to 41 countries worth of markets, even though we have 157 countries worth of customers. Woo, it gets fun. It gets fun. So you made a pretty early bet then and an investment to say, we're not going anywhere. This is not going to be a let's do this for two years and try to see if we can get some kind of pop. It was let's invest into content. Let's, in, let's invest into SEO. And yep. for the, you know, there's going to be an invest higher investment up front for salespeople to go get it. But the, the, the goal, long-term goal is to say, hey, we're going to drive the inbound. We're going to become this this thought leadership, this engine that drives all this inbound. How did you, how did you think about that from, I mean, you know, you have venture capital, you have a little bit of money, but I mean, yeah. it's such a long-term play to, to, 
to meet investors' expectations as far as numbers today while also saying, yeah, 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 but we still need SEO over here and it's going to be the long-term play. Like, think longer term, think longer term. Like, how do you balance that? How did you invest in the team that way? So we are go-to-market experts. That was what we did in the past. We did a lot of consultancy work. We really understand sort of digital marketing. And, and even today, I'm being wowed by new findings from our team in, in learning things that I didn't even realize you could util, utilize or even deploy when we first got it started, when when Rich and I were were more in it and hand hand-holding. It's funny, Rich actually used to oversee marketing. And, and 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 I don't know why, more so like because he loves analytics and, and the whole data science around it. But then at some point I took back over the area that I love too. We're both, we both look at it very differently. And, and so, you know, first of all, we've been incredibly fortunate to time a few things. Okay? So the timing of our entry, the timing of us getting capital, actually meant a few other players like a Techstar brand that, that came out, we put them in the grave, right? And so like we made some really, really good calls and they had some unfortunate timing as a result of that that just led to some luck, okay? So I, I, will, I will call it execution success, but it was a little bit of luck too. And I really do believe yeah. in that. But, you know, it was very clear to us that just by looking at search trend and some of the analytical tools that you could leverage, that no one was really doing this well. So there was this window of opportunity for us to start laying the foundation, and it's a marathon. It is not a sprint. You don't just create content, and all of a sudden you're the, you're the, the source of reckoning for, for all that thought leadership over time. Salesforce did not become a thought leader for, or a category leader for that matter for, uh, for 10 years, right? And so it's something where we really, really did believe we needed to do this. And we had some really smart, very technically proficient employees, both on our go-to-market teams that were saying, we got to keep doing this. We shouldn't do all of it, but we should do this. And like an OTA, so an online travel agent, when you put your brand on there, it will also lead to direct. So just because you're on Booking.com doesn't mean the reservation happens on Booking.com. It's almost like this billboard effect. So by buying ads, we were also creating a billboard effect for our brand, even though we didn't necessarily always get a conversion. So we realized that we had to go knock on doors. We had to get our, our footprint online as well, and we had to do those in parallel. And that just meant we were going to spend more money on go-to-market early. Yeah. And over time, that got more mature. But we always had really good ROAS on every investment we made, every dollar. We could see payback. Like, it was very organized and very clear. And now the sophistication's on another level. But we took that approach from day one. We also knew that in our case, we had to be where other hotel sales teams were. And what I mean by that is, Booking.com, Expedia, Airbnb were all growing at the same time that we were growing. And they had market managers, as they call it, in every region of the world. And they were knocking on doors saying, hey, look at us. We're, in, we're a source of all this consumer traffic. Sell your rooms through us. And in many cases, the hotels that we were working with or the hostels that we were weren't leveraging these. And so we could harness some of those tailwinds and deploy our own sales strategy that was very complementary 
and and we did. And so we kind of watched what others were doing and sort of and took note and did a micro version of that. And when we saw some success, we did a little bit more and so on and so on and so on. And so we were never afraid. Even today, our sales team and our marketing team do not have a budget. They have expectations. So yeah. if they hit those expectations and there's a positive ROI that maintains the unit economics that we're after, they can keep going. They can just keep going and we will constantly course correct based on performance metric. And so we have a very, very predictable model now, but it didn't wasn't always that way. And yeah. it's just something that we had to mature over time. That's interesting. So I, I don't want to get too far because you, you mentioned one thing that I thought was interesting. So you had technical technical GTM people in the earlier days and probably still today. But you had, so this is all is this mainly in like digital marketing yep. and figuring out how this works. So you had you had a, a sales team, you had SEO, you had ads running, you had partly an inbound team. So you had a, you had a lot of you had a lot of pieces moving all in the same same time Correct. at a very yeah. pretty pretty early part of the company. Yep. So from our first rounds of capital, we started to mature in those areas. Now, obviously, it could have been myself or Rich running that with one additional yeah. asset. And, and these weren't like executive level assets, right? These were people at all different sh shapes and sizes and levels. And yeah. But really smart individuals who clearly got it we're doing it somewhere else and we would we would leverage it we use third parties at times to eliminate a role internally and so sometimes that's great and sometimes it's premature but in our case we did a little bit of everything and and and, and again these were relative plays to our size and our scale we weren't like we were overextending ourselves getting hot behind or ahead of our skis but you know it worked sometimes more in other areas, which is why we were slower to conform. We were we were very slow to build a formal outbound team with a very large SDR program, like which we actually call SDRs now. But that was a byproduct of us looking at there's a ceiling to what we probably could produce organically and direct. Yeah. And so like we were recognizing that there was so much room up until let's call 2019 that we could just continue to just keep moving the lever and now we're sort of hitting this like slowing plateau and we're like cool we now need to augment that with our growth expectations with some outbound but what's funny is our organic model has been so so powerful we've actually brought in tam and so we're not actually wow. close to that sort of plateau We've like reestablished a new plateau, but we're doing both things in concert and, and it's a great, great, very efficient engine. You know, we, we, we overextended ourselves constantly, constantly telling them to push and we'll watch the unit economics fall and then they'll, they'll hit their, their bottom and they'll boom, they'll come back up yeah. and we'll do it again. And, and that's a, that's a, that is a very, very challenging culturally constantly showing success and then and then like a little bit of, of pressure and then you yeah. have to bring that back up to success and so as as a team which is historically very young so we, we bring in a very early and maturity sales org so these are often first year or second year sales reps many times they don't know our industry or they were in our industry but we're doing something else in the industry 
And so we have to ramp them and basically teach them to be salespeople in our product. Now, we have product market fit today, and, and, and you know, our, our NPS is in the high 60s. And so, like, we win. It's a very easy sale when you get a demo. And so this is all about optimizing the pipeline and making sure that we're getting as many demo yeah. opportunities as when you when you're in these these early days, you got a bunch of things moving all at the same time. You're pushing the pedal to to your to your strategy and your approach to this. What are some of the 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 mistakes? What are some of the mishaps that you made that if you could take back or you know you would share to say you know what Pro probably did that one wrong or did that a little bit differently if I could. There's a couple actually being a little more deliberate. So we, we took a little bit more of a shotgun approach, given that we were all of a sudden into more markets. I think we should have come back around to a few and gone a little bit more deep in trying to cross the chasm of like 10, 12, 13% ownership of a market sooner. We were a little bit more spread out, looking at, hey, we can take on all these different types of, of audience members. Cool. And we were showing success. So that was one. And I'm not sure we did that wrong. I think it would be interesting to run an AD experiment. And, and unfortunately, I can't. But I'd love to sort of challenge that thesis a little bit. And, and yeah. maybe we'd be at the same place. Maybe we'd be better off. Two is we were we held back. And we didn't have. The metrics were there. Like they were saying, go, 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 go. And, and I wish we had done some of the things we do now earlier. Like how we ramp our playbook or scripting like a little bit more like like don't leave your swim lane and you'll be successful type of thing and i also would have invested more in incentive around how you comp our sale we are we are not the best paying SaaS sales engine out there we will never be we just don't have the unit economics to afford that and so we're much more of a we're great ground to learn. And then two years from now, you're probably going to go on and, and double or triple your salary at a, a bigger enterprise SaaS company. And we're okay with that. And so I would love to rethink how that might look. I don't know the answer. It's something we constantly think about is how you do the right balance of, of incentive with a, a lower ACV product. Yeah. But those would be the three areas that I'd probably test a little bit yeah. more earlier on. No, that's interesting. So I, I'm I'm curious because it's not a common thing to hear about to say is, hey, push it and push it and push it and say, hey, what you're a very metrics driven person. And I know that it's a very methodical approach in the way that you think about these things. Did you invest in like right away or in the earliest days to say, hey, we're going to be metrics driven. These are our KPIs. These are the numbers that we're going to look at. Like, here's our EKG scan that like at what point in time did you get to the point where we we're like, Hey, I can actually look at these numbers. I can gauge to say, looking back now to say, hey, I, I should have poured more fuel in the fire. Like that's such a challenging place to be as a startup is I kind of know where we're at, right? Like my bank yeah. account says X, like I can figure out how many customers, but like the actual metrics yeah. of, of the of the business health, that's that's challenging. That's time consuming to collect and to figure out and make decisions off of. How did you guys how did you guys figure that out? The wrong way, actually. So, so we were thinking about it from a ROAS perspective. Like we'd say, hey, for every dollar we spend in sales and marketing, do we earn three back from a sale? That, that had no lens of retention, 
that had no lens of payback, that had no lens of, of the efficiency of producing that three. It was, if we spent a dollar, could we earn three because we believed in the long-term value of the customer, okay? So we weren't taking all those other inputs and like layering it in to determine whether or not we were doing it as a benchmark to others that are publicly traded analogs or whatever, right? So fast forward today, sure, we look at magic number. Yes, we look at payback. We look at those in in, compar in comparisons. We do tax buildups based on ICPs. I mean, we're doing all the things that are really about us taking a dial and turning it slightly to optimize or a lever. And so like we're now in the optimization phase, which is we're also a lot more sophisticated with our data. And and that is something where, sure, yes, if you went back and said, let's just get all of our data inputs perfect, I think that's all you would be doing and you wouldn't be investing anywhere else. Like you have to trust right. instinct to some degree. And if you if you have pretty good guidelines or guardrails around hey, my payback's 45 months, right? And I'm not retaining customer. That's probably not a good model. But like, right. if you're like, my payback's less than two years, I've got really good retention. Like I'm not losing customers. I'm actually able to expand the customers in that same two years. You're probably okay, right? Like, I, I don't know if you need to be doing a, a magic number calculation. Like, so we have to quarterize magic number we can't do it on a monthly basis it just doesn't make any sense to us based on our model but like when you look at the trend line we're like cool all right like three months ago it would say we should slow down sales and marketing but like right now it should say we should over hire sales and marketing isn't that funny like three months of difference and, and like nothing's changed nothing's changed three months ago to today we just got more efficient at it so like yep. it was, we had more people ramping up. We've had more headcount, and, and and that's a byproduct of what what our sales team constantly says. It's like, man, the cake's in the goddamn oven, Adam. Let it bake. Like like some of this is just bake and wait, and it eventually will be ready. It will either be overdone or undercooked or ready. Your choice. We can pull it out, and yes, we can flex our unit economics, and it'll look better. But it won't. We we won't be ready to eat this thing. It needs to go back yeah. in the oven, or we can wait. And what we often did was wait till it was burned, like it was literally burned, and we shouldn't have waited that long. And then we do, and we're like, well, fuck, we're not just rebuilding this anyway. So, so like, yeah. there's no perfect science here. And and at the end of the day, like, I think it's better to always be cautious. But after ten years of doing this, I kind of feel like cautious is one of the worst enemies of a, a startup operator because yes, the whole world the the whole world is cautious right now like the whole world is cautious i want to make it very clear to to the audience nothing has changed fundamentally in the economy except for two things one capital is more expensive but everything else is there Right. And, 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 and like there's a little bit more friction between the U.S. and China, but that was there a year ago. And that was there, you know, the 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 supply chain, the economics, I think it was all there. It's been there for three fucking years. And so the yeah. only thing that's different is cash is fucking expensive now. And so all as a result of that, people are incredibly fearful of taking risk. And so. You, you get investors fearful, you get founders fearful, you get team members fearful. That's why you, you're seeing quiet quitting, people moving jobs. 
in like all the studies from all those people who replaced themselves during the high the high years of COVID, are now realizing the grass wasn't greener. It's just this, right. It's so like just a different coming, problem. It's just a different problem, and so they're coming back. And so like I kind of feel like the world just needs a reset, and we need to take a big yeah. deep breath and and look back to some of the fundamentals. And so. My 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 younger generation of myself, if I could go back and say, do metric more, like actually look at some of the ba- baseline benchmarks of a sales org. Look at your magic number. Look at your you know payback. Look at churn retention based on you know your different segments. Look at build up of CAC, and like evaluate where you make your risks. But at the same time, I think you get in- instinctual guidance along the way. You kind of know. Yeah. No, if it's working or it's not. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting balance. I, I, I all 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 the clients and all the companies that I work with, I, I work with a lot of Series A, Series B companies, and they're always, you know, where where's the balance between, you know, how much do I get into the data, data driven decision making, metrics driven decision making? Because you can, to your point, you can spend all day looking at the numbers and go, well, I could also go make some calls and go do these types of things. When when you think about when you think about starting to figure out like what's working and what's not working, some of that is obviously to your point feel. Some of that is data. So while while you're in this trajectory of we're getting some things, you have SEO starting to hum. You have obviously you have ads that are driving to different places. You're obviously continuing to double down on content with a lot of this. You have started to put together your outbound team. Then you're starting to put market managers into various places. Like, yep. what did that transition really look like to say, hey, we're kind of a, I don't want to say, hey, we're all in the same place, but now we're starting to like intentionally put people in different places. That That's a, that's a, not only is that an investment, but that's a difference in strategy. That's a difference in process. There's, you know, there's a lot of new things that are happening. What, what was happening? Like, how, how did you think about building all of that? And then how did you focus on actually making sure that it was executed correctly versus, well, we hired all these people. Now let's just wish and hope that they actually do their job. Yeah. Um, no, no, I think, I think, it, so first of all, it was a marathon. It wasn't a sprint, right? This was an evolution, right? So it wasn't as if we just ripped the band and said, hey, Guys, new plan, new day. Let's do this. It was very much deliberate. All right, we're doing a little bit of this. We're going to do a little bit more. We're doing a little bit of outbound. We're going to do a little more. And along the way, it was the rudimentary entry points. It was like lots and lots of experiments. And then we came back around and said, okay, outbound's working, but we need to nurture outbound first. We can't just pick up the call. We actually need to get in front of them in a touch point way. And then we can look for sort of triggers or identifying who's got some interest and then call them. And so like we basically took all that and professionalized it a little bit more. You know, we did paid ads and then we looked at what paid ads were successful. Then we did derivatives of those ads. And then we looked at new mediums and we would test that. Then we'd look at our landing pages, our content, like where we, so this was like thousands of little iterative experiments until we're like, ooh, all right, there's a vein. That's got some gold coming out of it. Cool. Like, yeah. let's tap that a little bit more. And then, then it was levers and dials, levers and dials. So there was a lot of deliberate in this. Could we have, like, started the maturity of some of those areas earlier? A hundred percent. 
and yeah. and like one of the things I was I was chatting with a, a bunch of entrepreneurs yesterday in the same area, and I and I was recommending. I said, guys, you're gonna make a lot of mistakes along the way, and some of them are gonna feel really hairy when you're in the moment. But if you like zoomed out and looked back down over a course of ten years, it probably didn't matter. It probably didn't matter, and it was a really good lesson to learn, and you move on. And so we've, we've taken a much more two-way door, one-way door mentality, where two-way doors is an experience that you can come back for. One-way door, you walk in, the door shuts behind you, and if there's no path in front of you, you're jumping, like you're falling down that cliff. And right. so a lot of our decision-making lends to that level of risk-taking, and so I'd much rather take two-way door experiments because I just feel like, hey, it's okay, guys. Like, oh, we were wrong. Cool. Let's go back. No big deal. The one-way ones are like a commitment. That would be like us saying, hey, we're going self-onboarding, sales-assisted sales process, no humans involved in our demo flow. And if I presented that to the sales organizer, I'd be like, what? Like, no. I what? How would we even do that? Like our tech doesn't even enable. Like that would just be we're moving to France, right? Right. We're doing it. We're moving to France, and everyone's like, "What?" <laughs> like, okay, doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. So it has to be a little bit more marathon. So I I know that you're a you're a big guerrilla marketing guy. You like to get scrappy. You like you like to you know figure it all out. You talked about A/B tests. We talked about experiments. How do you can you walk us through like like an example of what does that actually look like over the course, like running experience. I mean, are you, you talk to your team, you get, you know, you get a small group of people in a room, say, Hey, this is what we're going to test. Here's a list of accounts. Here's a segment, go for yeah. it at the end of the week. Let's, you know, let's renew. And then let's like, what does that like actually look like? Because I hear it. And then people go, so how do I do that? Yeah. Yeah, I'll like give I, you. I'll, I'm down. I'm down to be scrappy. I just don't know uh, how to be scrappy. Cool. I'll give you. I'll give you a perfect example. Okay. So we we have a ton of inbound traffic. Tons, tons, and tons. Our our website is the eighth thousand most populated website or visited website of the world. Okay. I, I don't know why or why that is, but great. I love it. Cool. A lot of traffic to our website. We were getting a lot of demos from students, hospitality students wanting doing research projects. Okay, that's not great for your your data, and it really pollutes it very quickly. So we needed to basically redirect content away from our lead forms and into thought leadership categories and whatnot. So one of the exercises, and we just recently did this, and this is sort of that mindset of an experiment, was we have a very, very, very successful landing page ecosystem. Just a very successful, just take my word for it. It is converts at high, high clips. I'm not going to get into it, but it, it converts. They are very good. A lot of testing from like button change, color change, photo change. I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. But we, we are religious about every input on that website is tested and i'll and i'll i'll, I'll give you a really sad st story that deeply deeply impacted me but it was one of the things that revealed itself to the world that we live in as digital marketers so same page that we've been using forever and we at cloudbeds are all about welcoming we we have such a diverse employee base 
around the world and, and to us that we celebrate and welcome that all day, yeah. every day. So, and in spirit of trying to show that we support the world's population, we did an interracial couple that showed that second experience of that couple checking into the hotel. Our conversion rates dropped by 50% overnight. And everyone's like, I don't know what's going on. It's like the same format. It's the same content. And I said, guys, it's the photo. We took the photo off, put a different photo in, conversion went right, right back up. And to all of our that was a simple example of experimentation. Just trying to be more worldly resulted in less conversion, right? Because to some people, they don't accept that, right? And that was just, that was one of the, the biggest eye-opening moments of digital marketing that just pissed me off more than anything. So let's yeah. go back to a real example of what we're doing now. So pricing. A lot of brands just show their pricing. Sometimes it's gated. So we took a different approach. We've shown our pricing. We've gated our pricing. But we wanted to get more information from our prospects. We didn't want to do that in a way that was like, more clicks or more sort of invasion of their information. Like a lot of times you just want to peruse, you want to get pricing, but it's very hard when you're a system of record for a business to understand business needs when I don't collect any information. How can I tell you what, what price Alex is going to be a great fit from your businesses? I've never talked to you before. Like I don't know right. you from some other property down the street. Maybe you're just solving for one pain and they have three pains. So, you know, we are very deliberate in our sales approach to try to just match value to paint. And so we went with a sales form or funnel form that is Q&A, right? Tell me a little bit about your business. What are some of the problems that you're trying to solve for? And as a result of us leading them down the path, it would present packages that fit and solve for those pain points. Our marketing team freaked out when they were like, no, 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 we need to show the package. We need to show the price. And I was like, absolutely freaking not. No way. We are going this route, and they wanted to go this route. And it was a humongous marathon to bring everyone to a few of, of the sides who were siding with me versus the the professional digital marketing team that has been running this website where I was like, no, we are not doing that. And I just said, trust me, we need to collect more information and it will not disrupt our sales funnel. Well, anyway, I was right, which is rare these days, but I was right <laughs> because I knew it would extract interest. I, I have sold enough in my life, Alex, and I know you are, you are, you have the same sort of, you have a very different path, but like you've been in it from a founder and, and also like a CRO like type. And selling is about understanding the other side of the, of the table more than selling a product. It's about like understanding an individual. It's connecting with that individual. It's walking through their, their lens with them in their shoes. And in that association, once you master just being a people person and just listening and talking and asking the right questions, it's not difficult to ask someone, hey, what's your budget? But for most salespeople, that's terrifying. It's like, oh, I can't ask that question because it could lead to a denial. It's like, no, dude, it's a, it's a perfectly honest question to ask. Yes, yep. everyone has a budget. That's totally fine. There's no secret there. And so right. I, I think confidence around 
approach and just getting to know one reveals more information. And there's people who are masters at just getting to know people. So yep. I knew that this was one of those moments where you have someone who has clicked pricing on our website. So psychologically, they're interested in what they've read today. And I know that there's only so much percentage of our traffic going to our pricing page already. So just by looking simple analytics, I could say 30% of our traffic goes to pricing. Cool. That's a very, very interested party. Now, our data analytics are so strong, I can map opportunity close rate to those who hit pricing. So we can connect the entire funnel. Guys. I mean, like, it's insane, the level of sophistication. So I was like, it's worth the gamble because I already know the intent. And so we went to a very, very process-driven Q&A. We 3X'd our conversion rate on that website page. Wow. So, so that was a very long journey to get to that, and a lot of data backed up the arguments. But if I didn't know the metrics, I wouldn't have been able to, I would have just had to test it and hope to yeah. God I was right. But I was, we were looking at the data, and there's other publicly traded examples of groups doing this that have sort of this product market fit that I was aware of. And so I said, you know, I think it's worth the gamble. Now, again, this was not me. This was us emulating other groups that we, we really love in the world. But there was data science behind it, and I'm, I'm super thankful that we got it right. But I'm also was totally comfortable getting it wrong and being, I right. told you so, Adam, you're wrong. Stay out of our business. And that would have been great too. Yeah. That's really interesting. And so thank you for the example, because I, I think it gives a lot of context to like how to do something like this. And it, and it, how, how long was this type of an experiment? Like how long from ballpark from like start to finish roughly? So for us, we need N plus 500 to get statistical relevance. We need 500 people to fill out that form to really have pretty good guidance. In this case, it took us six months for someone to be willing to like marketing to be willing to sign off. Now, they were willing to sign off earlier, but we really want, we are a, we are a stronger together mentality and, and that's one of our core values. So we really want everyone to be collectively involved. Yes. And there were some other moving parts, but normally we can get an experiment done in three weeks. So like normally this is something we can go fast. We have three engineers that are just on our website. That's all they do. And so like we're, we're lucky we have those resources to be able to build things quickly. We use VWO, which is a an A-B testing and analytics software, which is yeah. we're watching intent on the website. We're, so like we're doing not only heat maps, we're like we're recording interactions. So like we're recording some real human's behavior around the world. We are constantly using VPNs to hit our website from different traffic sources, from different devices at different mobile speeds to see how it loads and what the interaction is. We play with all these different things because we're so reliant on this type of traffic. We don't want to screw it up. I'll give you an exa another yeah. example. We used to get a ton of business from Captera. It was one of our best performing referral sources. Well, one night, some idiot in Captera decided that hospitality wasn't an interest anymore, and they changed their whole SEO algorithm in, in, a, in a traffic source that was like 10, 15% of our, our, our monthly revenue, gone in a matter of days. So all of a sudden, we're like, whoa, okay, scramble, like we need to shuffle, and, and luckily... Yeah. 
ten percent is 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 not like fifty percent, but ten percent still stinks. I mean that that is a wake up call. And so from there on out, after that that learning, we knew we had to diversify further, and we never wanted to rely on one or two or three sources. And so we very broad, very much broadened our approach. And so again, lots of little learnings. And when you're when you're in the heat of the moment, super scary. But when you zoom on out and you look at it over time, not so scary. I mean, we had a bad actor yeah. at the beginning of the year. Some probably it could have been an ex-employee, could have been a competitor. I don't know, but someone decided to use ChatGPT, basically generate fake, fake but real hotel conversions on our website in the tunes of thousands using ads. So like they're actually built an engine that would click on an ad that we were paying for redirect it to our landing page, algorithmically fill it in with real information of hotels, but it was bogus. And so our team started calling these hotels, like, I don't know, wait a with you. I don't know what you're talking about. And it took us a few weeks, and we had to then turn off our entire inbound ad engine for three and a half weeks to combat a bad actor who just want, was pissed off at us on the web cost us a lot of money. We had to leverage Google. We had to bring in third party to like write algorithms to overcome it. And and that's who, who, who predicts that? You know what I mean? That's just someone who's pissed off and put their attention towards us. And and so like these things are things that happen that you will never expect as yeah. a sales org or go to market engine and you just have to wake yeah. up and deal with it. And so instead of freaking yeah. out, we just pump the brake that, all right, we'll get through it. Let's look at the whole funnel. If we have to talk to the board about a quarter being a little soft, here's our here's our data. Let's just validate it. But man, you can't get caught up. Like it's a journey. It's not a sprint. Yep. Yep. Wow, that is. I, I always whenever that those types of stories happen, I always wonder like, what do you do every day that you have the time or the want to just this is what you're going to do. Anyway, anyways, we we can digress on that for, forever. So I, I want to talk a little bit about like sync. Because it, it, I, I get the sense that your team is really, really in sync with each other. You have all these different departments. You've got a lot of intel coming from different places. And one of the things that you hear a lot of times in a lot of companies, and this is typically why I'm off, often called to come into a company, is, is they're siloed, right? you got sales. Yep. Maybe you have multiple types of sales teams. You, you have enterprise accounts, mid-market. You have SMB. You have marketing. You have inbound. You have SEO. You have, you have all these different things. How are you getting everybody to really be in touch and share learnings, intel, like actually statistically significant information? I mean, obviously, you're investing in, in some data people. What, what does that look like on a weekly basis? I mean, are you having weekly calls, monthly calls? Is there like a shared Google Doc, which I hope is not the answer. But like, what, no. what, is, what is the thing that you kind of like keep it all together? It's a little bit of everything. And so it's still organized chaos. How about that? There are always going to be silos in organizations, and you do your best to break them down. We have revenue calls. So we we call revenue in being the sort of CRO title that you you described. That's chief revenue officer, right? That's everything from retention to top of funnel and, 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 and creation. So we look at this revenue call and this revenue team as marketing, CS, sales, partnerships, and anyone that's involved in them. We meet, we talk about things, and we try to align. And then that team leaves and goes, does micro 
plannings and sessions and whatnot, and then comes back to the group. So, for example, we are we are always being pulled upstream into a new team, right? Which ultimately increases our SAM. And for those who don't know, TAM, SAM, SAM is your serviceable addressable market. TAM is your total addressable. So when when you think about when you think about that exercise, like moving upstream, if that's something we need to do, which is which is what we always desire to do long term, we always want higher paying customers. Right? If product is involved, go to market is involved, CS is involved, so there's a different customer experience there. Our marketing team has to rethink the content to address a different audience, right? So, like, this is big problems that have to have plans. And, and it's not something you just flip a switch and overnight you're selling to a larger audience. It's just not, it's not feasible. And so then the complication of your architecture is different to those two audiences. Even the architecture of information and how you flow people into your funnel, your sales cycle changes. Like these are big ramifications of like doing shift. And so we, we, we try to slow it down. We, we, we try to like bring people along for the journey and we just start talking about it. We just start talking about a little bit more and a little bit more. And along the way we get further aligned and is it the perfect system? No. Is, is there people who feel FOMO? hundred percent. But we do our best to try to bring journeys. And so, like, it, 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 a great example, like, marketing and sales are looking at this from two different lenses. That's natural. That, that's good. But then we'll eventually get them aligned, and they'll support each other. And, and oftentimes, sales will get there first, and they'll start experimenting, and marketing will come back and add the professional lens to it. And it's a great complementary system, but we have a lot. Lot, lot, lot of, of of miles to improve, and and yeah. that also makes it fun. No, that's it's really interesting because as you start to grow, especially from a remote team, communication is is always the thing. When you can have great communication, people are in sync. People don't feel like they're missing out. People feel like they're confident to be able to do their their job, and and obviously the numbers and things like that to be able to be directionally focused. When you think about some of the messaging. So one of the one of the big things is as you're starting to grow, your message starts to kind of shift and evolve. Yep. It definitely starts to to change, especially when you go to additional markets, and there's a different markets, but additional markets. How how have you like do you have an example as far as like, hey, we start when we first started, it was very clear, right? We had one customer, one niche, like we got our story down, you know, there's twenty or fifty of us, and like I can be like, this is what you're supposed to say. And yeah. then you started adding sales teams, marketing teams, CS teams. Like, how are you able to, how do you consistently keep the message on point and people don't just start selling in whatever way they want or saying whatever it is that they want and and it's collective? Alex, I'd love to say we don't have that problem. We do. <laughs> we yeah. do. It is it is an ongoing horse correct, horse correct. Course correct, yeah. course correct, and eventually you do fall in line, right? Like yeah. it, it's funny. I I'm going through sales training right now. Uh, I am I am going back through our sales training, and this is a true story. My our our sales enablement team not only is the leader a good friend of mine, but also he's he's a great leader in this area. And I texted him at nine o'clock at night because I was taking the sales training, like. 
dude, you sent me two demos. I'm not sure if these are great examples of really good demos or these are what you don't want to do in a demo. And he didn't reply. And he didn't reply over the weekend. And then I was like, oh, no, these are these are great examples. And, and not these aren't horrible examples. And, and, and the reality <laughs> is he was chuckling. He's like, Adam, I didn't know how to reply to you. First of all, I was out at a bar and I had had some beers in me and I didn't want to give you an answer because I didn't think it was right. The second time is I figured we'd talk on Monday when we had a scheduled call and we did. And, and so the best part about it is both of those demos that he sent me got sales. And, 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 but what I recognize was nothing wrong with the demo was the demos took an hour. I think they could have taken 30 minutes and we still could have accomplished the same goal. There was a lot of repetitive sales tactic that was happening. I understand why that happened. These are two junior sales reps that were reading from script. I could watch their eyes. I could see their body language shift. And I, and I personally wouldn't have had to do any of that. I would have, I would have skipped a lot of that bullshit and gone straight to, what they're after and showing the tool in a different way. But right. I'm in a very unique position to be able to do that, right? I've been in this 10 years. I'm the CEO. I better understand our product and how to communicate it fairly well. Right. And so I had to take my step a step back and like ground myself a little bit and think about the consistency and the quality controls that we're trying to do with a 200-person quota-bearing org in 41 countries. Like, I can't culturally tell one person who communicates and negotiates in one way as a culture to sell it like this. It's not fucking possible. You're dead on arrival. And so some of that is, yes, I want to tell CloudBed's story the same every single time, meaning how we describe it, our vision, why we're in the market. It needs to be universal. We could all say the same thing. But then as you get into what we do for that specific hotel in that specific region with different guest complaints and requirements and whatever, I can't, I can't, I physically can't say do it this way. Now, should they know everything about our product? Yeah, but our product keeps in expanding and growing and becoming more complicated. And so at the same time, you kind of have to just take best practices and train around that playbook and then hope to God that the EQ of the, of the sales rep is adaptable and they can sort of play to the situation. And we've been fairly consistent there. But, man, yeah, I would love it to be the same demo every single time because then I would just I digitalize it. I'd, I'd look at other forms of how do we handle that high-velocity engine to reduce our cash. That would, yeah. be a, that would be an optimization thing that I would yeah. do. And, and so trust me when I say that, I, 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 this is what we're, we're thinking about now. We're yeah. thinking about how do I spend less but produce more because yeah. the world that we live in has, has had a pendulum swing to being profitable and growing quicker is more valuable than a company doubling that speed and growth but burning a ton of money. And, yeah. and so – that is a very different landscape. And so I, and, 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 but this is one of those challenges that the tinkers that we are as operators in, in leadership, man, this is fun. Like we're fun. throwing everything you can think of onto the drawing board to try to solve for things that aren't even challenges. 
these are just opportunities to improve. And that's, that's a, a great place to be in. But I yeah. don't think there's an answer, unfortunately. So I'm getting to the yeah. point where I'm like, yeah, there's no silver bullet here, folks. Like, this is going to be lots and lots of micro improvements that may or may not do anything, may not even move the needle, which means they might not even be worth the experiment. And it's a debate that my co-founder and I have all the time. We're like, dude, I get it. We should do that. But is it worth the squeeze? Like, is the juice worth the squeeze? And And we don't know necessarily. And so then we're like, we're sitting here like this, clearly upset because we can't solve something or it's not necessary to solve it. And, and that's a weird dilemma to be in. It's weird. But maybe very, that's very a good – but, but so I'm zooming out and I'm looking down. I'm like, dude, that's yeah. a great problem to be in because it means yeah. that other things are working really well. Well, that's really interesting because – I don't hear a lot of CEOs taking their own sales training. That's that's certainly not a, a common one that I've heard before, or or really any leadership position doing that. But it, but but the but the concept of that, as far as this like internal audit, this internal kind of review of teams, of processes, of content, like that's something that I do a lot of. Is people ask me to come in and say, hey, can you do an objective? sales yeah. or go to market audit and 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 the, the the people always love it it's always really really interesting because it's you're in so deep and you're saying that i actually in internally do this i look at these things whether it's the sales content or the sales demo or maybe it's i'm looking at leadership how often do you do these like little tiny things from uh hey look at a sales demo and do you have your your leadership team do this as well so so I'm just doing, I, so I just started this. So I, I'm always joining sales. So one of the things that I do is every quarter I fire off an email to the sales org and say, put me to work. And I really do mean that. It's like, put me to work. Put me on a sales call. I'll email a customer. Whatever you want me to do, my, my title carries weight. Put me to work, okay? No one ever right. puts me to work. I want to make that very clear. Very, very, very small population puts me to work. Because at the end of the day, they, they see that and they're like, Adam, it's my job to go get these sales. Like, I don't need you. Like, there's a little bit of salesman spirit or salesperson spirit that says, got this. Get away from me. So I decided that not only am I auditing the program for my own educational reasons, I want to go sell again. I want to actually get in the sales funnel. I'm going to be part of inbound. I'm going to take some demos and I'm going to see it through the end which means I'm going to look at how we process, how we do these things, so I can come back and actually be like, I felt their pain. I lived it. I understand what it's like. And, and hopefully that, that guidance gives me more clarity and exposure so that I can just have honest feedback conversations with these people who are thinking about this every day. It is not fair for me to come down, top-down approach and say, we've got problems without actually understanding the product problems myself. And getting yep. feedback, I don't feel is enough in this case. So I, I, I'm re I reached out to a few of our, our best-performing inbound teams. I said, hey, I'd like to shadow you. I will not talk. Do not introduce me on the call. I'm just listening. I'm not criticizing. I'm not going to give you any feedback. I just want to listen and learn. And and after I do that for a while, then I'm going to inject myself on the sales cycle where I'm literally going to take the call and I'm going to do the demo. And I am dead. Like, 
terrified to go do this. I haven't done this in seven years. Like, yes, I'm involved in big sales and our big contracts. That is a very different approach, and that is more sort of ceremonial to bring me in. I'm not negotiating. I'm not pushing the feature. I'm definitely commenting on vision and whatnot. But, like, I'm going to lead the demo. And, and, and the funny thing is there's now a pool. There's a bet pool on what my conversion rate will be. And so now there's a lot of pressure on me. I said it's going to be 80%. And, and, and like, so I, I set the bar really high, knowing I probably won't hit that, just so that people see I'm grounded, right, yeah. um, when, I, when I take defeat. But at the same time, there's a little bit in me that says, no, I am going to just follow the process, but I'm going to get straight to business. And I'm, I'm so much more comfortable asking hard questions I deal with it every day. Like, I don't care if someone asks me, like, you know, how, how much the company's worth. I'm, I'm used to deflecting. And so yeah. for, for us, it's really easy. And I think for in, in your shoes, too, like value mapping, extracting information is second nature now. Like, we have to do yeah. that as part of a sale. I think and so like the, the team is really worried that I actually DQ deals. Super fast. Like, I'll get on the phone, like, Alex, what are you up to? Like, boo, boo, boo. Oh, yeah, you're never going to be a good fit. Great talking to you. Click, and like, just <laughs> on to the next thing. And so they're, they're like, that's not fair. You, you can't do that. I'm like, why not? Like, absolutely, I should be doing that. Our sales team should be like, don't tell the sales team they should be doing this. Let them go through the process. There's a playbook yeah. for a reason. So yep. uh, anyway, I'm so excited to do this, and yet I'm secretly telling you I'm terrified. I'll revert back. I'll revert back in yeah. a few months and let you know how yeah. I'm doing. So do you have do you have leaders on your team do these types of things as well? Like, how do you get that objective review that view? Because you know you're you're not necessarily in each one of these departments every single day. So sometimes you can take that objective review where maybe a sales leader, it could be the sales manager, it could be director, it could be VP, sometimes it's so in it that it's really hard to get that objective view yeah. to be able to be like, well, here's all the things that are going well, right? Here's where we would continue to to want to double down. But also over here, like, what are the gaps and what are my blind spots that I just straight out don't see? So we are, we are, we have this Eisen for value, 1% yeah. improvement. We like to be in everyone's business as a team. Like so, so this is, and we have a positive intent, you know, core value. Me coming in and wanting to be part of the sales funnel, all the sales leaders know that it is all well informed. This is not to do anything but to look for levers and dials to see if we can improve. I am not a top down. I do not micromanage. I give tons and tons of autonomy to the departments that I oversee, and that's sales, marketing, partnerships, corp dev, and people. Rich, my co-founder, has engineering, customer success, finance, and product. And so that there's really good complementary balance between between that too. Uh, we do this constantly. So like we're auditing. We just audited tickets, like our support ticket team, because we're evaluating whether or not we can change our SLA around how quick we're response, how whether or not generative AI could play into it. And, and that's not to eliminate roles. That's to shift that individual away from being reactive to doing proactive education and other things. So this is, again, right. all of these experiments are about us doing more for our customer, not less. 
in optimizing our model so that we can not only juice our, 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 our business economics, but, but do it in a way that benefits our customer. Like we are all about wowing our customer. And so sometimes I hear it's like, well, this is a cost cutting exercise. Like, no, like if that's a benefit, cool. But this is a reallocation of resource and value. Yeah. And so I, I, we, could, we could welcome challenging and experiments. Like this is good. Audits are healthy. Like and if if the reality is you get a positive outcome from that audit, awesome. If if you were blinded by you're in it every day, great. It's awake. It's an awakening. You're not wrong yeah. for it. And so if you if you take the approach, that's why oftentimes I hate it when I hear people nervous about being put on a pip. A pip is hey, we're having a conversation that you're not performing to our desire. We're not getting rid of you. We're telling you what we need to do together to improve. It's a performance improvement plan. It's not an exit plan. Right. If it was an exit plan, it'd be called an exit plan. It's a performance well, Sometimes they're described plan. like that, but yeah. <laughs> Correct. But like, so it, the way we do it is it's a performance improvement plan. Correct. And it takes two parties to ultimately see that through. And so we believe that our jobs as leaders is to create environments for others to be successful in. Right? Yeah. That means taking liberties with the day-to-day -day responsibility in the county. That might mean they fail at times. It's part of the journey. We're human. We yeah. make errors. So all of us together are in it. All of us together yeah. are in it to make improvements. And and so I, I welcome that. I welcome all that, that growth awesome. because I think it's super important. And, and we do a lot of it. And, and a lot of these lessons came from other leaders inside the organization. No, that, that's that's fantastic. I mean, I, I think that the mindset and the approach is, is right. It's, hey, this is going well. Let's continue to do this. And, hey, this is not going so well. Hey, let's fix it now as opposed to figure it, that out that it's not going well a year from now. So, yeah. Adam, this is awesome. I, I have a couple last ones and then and then we can like wrap up. Wanna wanna take a look at what are if you had to boil it down or, or at least focus down to what is one of the best bets that you have ever made that has propelled the company or propelled revenue? Yeah. As well as on the flip side, what is the biggest mistake or a large mistake that if you could choose at this point, obviously we talked a little bit about it earlier that you would say, you know what, I would have done that a little bit different, or if I had a chance, I probably would have turned right instead of left. Oh, okay. So the first one was, was easy. My allocator, that acquisition I mentioned that propelled us to 60 markets was just the whole world. It was crazy. We took half the cash that we just raised off the turn. Stupid. Like, in hindsight, it wasn't well thought out, but it was it made perfect sense and it was so well timed and it it was it was the catalyst that we needed to be here today. We wouldn't be here today without it. Okay. So that was that was a no brainer. In terms of something that I wish we had done earlier, I wish we had built into the product a little bit more sales assisted versus sales-led capacity. What I mean by that is sales-led is very human touch points. Like you got to talk to someone, you got to onboard with someone, you got to do a lot of human-to-human -human sort of process. Now we do that incredibly efficient and it's incredibly well-received. I wish we had done more sort of, you could go through the funnel a little bit further without 
the salesperson like leading it and being a little more assistive, that would take that would be us going left, not right. And yeah. we're going very much right. I'm not saying I'm right there either to go left. I don't know. And so I would have loved to challenge that a little bit more and more on and, and, and have better understanding of what that represents. And so it, it's a it's one of those things where fast forward to five years, I don't know if it's gonna matter, right? And right. so I'm I'm very much I'm very much open and excited to sort of see the evolution of how we tackle some of the things that we're looking at from a sales efficiency perspective to just try to make the system better. One of our superpowers is this go-to-market engine. It really is a superpower of ours. And we're incredibly fortunate to be just surrounded by geniuses in this area. And like, I take little credit. I give them all of it. And, and, and the reality is Rich and I are incredibly humbled by what they're possible, what they're able to do. And so look, I, 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 I'm so excited to see how we approach it. And I'll, I will definitely have a small seat at, at the table along that journey, but already the things that we're deploying and starting to deploy, which is up leveling of our approach. I'm like, this is going to be fun to watch. Like, let's go. Let's F and go. This is going to be good. So I would say those are my two answers. I was a little yeah. bit longer winded, so I apologize. No, that's awesome. And I, I love the energy that you, I mean, you've been doing this for 10 plus years, still high energy, still want to A-B test, still want to run the experiments, still want to get in the weeds, still want to make everybody better. That's awesome. It's awesome to see. Adam, I got a, got a last question for you. Do you have a favorite book, favorite resource that that you can share with the audience that you recommend for people yeah. along the along the journey? So, so in my role, again, I, I said my 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 sort of mantra, which is environments where others are successful at. I I Rich and I try to be servant leaders and really believe that being a leader isn't challenging if you think about the fundamentals of what it represents there's this book i have it here it's called unusually excellent by john ham he's the executive coach of coaches in in the bay area reed hoffman you know jeff weiner et cetera et cetera it's a very very marquee ceos in the bay area it's an unbelievable bible to being a better leader and so i i highly recommend that that one's awesome good we're gonna have to check that one out any any last things you want to share? Any last remaining wisdom that you can you can part with us today? Oh, look. experiment, experiment, experiment often, fail often. Without it, you just don't know. You just you never know what else is possible. And and I think that's the beauty of of what this world looks like. I highly, highly, highly encourage people to take this whole AI or generative AI experiment that, that the world is, is feeling and look at how their sales org potentially could leverage it. It's about efficiency. It's not to replace humans. It's about to augment humans. And so we're definitely experimenting with a lot of it and, and we're starting to see some really cool examples. And so I highly, highly recommend experiment and then look to how these tools could potentially help you guys. I love it. How, how does the audience get more of you? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Hit me up there. Follow us on social. My email is adam.harris at cloudbeds. I 
I gave it out there, there. You needed to get me on LinkedIn, but please don't be shy. I, I love trying to be helpful, and I also love learning. So if you have recommendations or ideas, my, my, one, my one ask is if, if you have questions, come with, with why you have questions. Don't just ask the question. Come with substantive information so that I could potentially help. And then if you have help for me, come with substantive reasons on why you think you guys could help me as a service vendor or whatever. But we're, we're super excited to be be here. I love it. And we'll link, we'll link all that into the, into the notes as well. Adam, this was a blast. Well, I'm excited to have you on again and we can talk about the next step of the journey and everything else. We didn't even get into hiring and some of the big enterprise deals. So we'll have to have you on again. And this was a blast. Thank you so much for, for joining the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week's episode of From Start to Scale. Be sure to click that subscribe button and follow us so you don't miss our next episode. I'm Alex Newman. See you next time.